0: This morning, the Lord is dealing with me, and we'll start in Exodus 24. And like Calvin said, this is going to end up in Revelation chapter one. You're right; we're, we're, we've been there for a long time, and the Lord's just making this so so clear in my heart. Anyway, why? Maybe not in yours, but in mine. Why? And I will try to share that with you. But Exodus 24:16. It says, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai for six days, the cloud covered it. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop in the eyes of the Israelites. Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain and he remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So the sight of the glory of the Lord on the mountain was like a cloud and a fire. And it's really throughout the whole Old Testament, God comes in a cloud and a fire. You go and you start reading your Bible. You find a cloud and a fire. As much as the Lord deals with the cloud and the fire in the Old Testament, it's probably for a purpose. Probably for a purpose toward us to understand in Christ. There's probably something there that the church should understand in regards to the cloud and the fire really is. In Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel says, he was what? In the land of captivity. And in verse 4 he says, And I looked and behold a whirlwind. Verse 4 chapter 1. I looked and behold a whirlwind. Now this word whirlwind, means it comes out of two Hebrew words one is the resemblance of breath and the other one is a hurricane a storm a tempest a whirlwind so a so what do you get when you have a hurricane a tempest a storm you get clouds don't you so here ezekiel looks out And he sees a cloud. He sees a whirlwind. And it came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself. So here again is a cloud and a fire. So, and a brightness was about it in the midst thereof as the color of amber and out of the midst thereof of the fire. So we have... On Mount Sinai, Moses entering into a cloud with the appearance of a fire. And Ezekiel seeing a cloud with a fire. Okay. Now if we come on down in this chapter in Ezekiel, I won't read all this, but come on down in, in this. And it says, verse 25, and there was a voice from the firmament that was over their heads when they stood, and they let down their wings, and above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne. So above the firmament, a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone, and upon the likeness of the throne was the appearance of a man upon it. Now look at this man. And I saw as the color of amber. "...as the appearance of fire round about within it, from appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And it had brightness round about, as the appearance of a bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness round about." This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard a voice of one that spake. Now what does Ezekiel sound like? Sound like Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1? Does it it sound like the... Very similar, right? Except where John sees the man... See, John sees a man in chapter 1 too. And the man he sees in chapter 1 has feet as brass burning in a fire. What, what What does Ezekiel say here? He had fire from his waist downward and fire from his loins upward. Now what kind of man is a man of fire? Huh? Christ. So in Revelation chapter 1, where we've been for months, John turns to see a voice that's speaking to him. And being turned, he sees seven golden candlesticks and one in the candlestick. One in. All seven candlesticks. So one. And the seven candlesticks are said to be seven churches of Asia. And in the midst of the seven churches is one like unto a son of man. And this son of man, head and hair, is white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes are as a flame of fire. And he has feet as brass. And... Out of his mouth a two-edged sword, his face is as the sun. And you go back there to Ezekiel's description and let the Spirit of God deal with you. Ezekiel's description said there was brightness round about. There was light and understanding and knowledge round about the appearing of the Son of Man. Where John sees the Son of Man at is in the church. This this description that John gives is throughout the scriptures, the epistles you read. That's why it takes so long to get through it, because you can't just go read. He has feet of brass. out of our carnal mind, we can just draw an image of it and say, well, His feet are as brass." And say, well, is what Jesus looks like. But that's an inward knowing. Every description, every piece of that description is an inward knowing of the Lord. For you and I and every member of the body of Christ to know. That's why he wrote it. That's why he saw it. He didn't just write it down in a book for a bunch of people to never know anything about it and just read over top of it. It wasn't God's intention. That someday out in eternity you'll figure it out in the sweet by and by. It's not the intention of the Lord. That's not the mind of the Lord. The Lord says you have the mind of Christ that you might know the things of God. So if I have the mind of Christ, if I begin to agree with the Lord, then the Lord can teach me his word. And not just that I can Understand His written Word, but that I have an encounter with the living Word in me that changes my life, my being. It's not just that I properly can give you the Scripture. That's part of it. That's part of it. But it's even bigger than that. It's that what you read would become part of you. That's His intention. That's the intention of God. Now how does the intention of God work in me? Well, I think part of it is you have to understand the intention of God. You, you know, I, I was talking to somebody, and, you know, a lot of people talk about the word end in the Bible. And I won't go into the full detail, but I want to tell you something about the word end. One of the main words used for end of the end, E-N-D, in your Bible means a goal. I'm telling you, that's the only word used, but it's one of the main words used for end is a goal that's set forth. Alright? So God... Let's say when God created created the earth, God had a goal. Do you ever think about that? God had a goal. Ever, has that ever captivated our mind that God might have had a goal? We talk about our goals. But here's this awesome being That creates the plants. That in His infinite wisdom understands that that it takes water for grass to grow. It takes seed to bring forth a crop. All this is inside of God. All this is in His heart. All this is in His mind. All, All that you see in the natural comes out of Him. And He begins to speak. And He speaks in relationship to His goal. His goal, His purpose. And and John 1, I touched this last week, John 1, verse 1 is His goal and purpose. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Now, how do you say that's His goal and purpose? It's what that Word means. That Word means Logos. No, it doesn't mean Logos. It is Logos in the Greek. The Greek word for word there is Logos. The word means the thought, the purpose, the substance, the essence. So in the beginning was the thought, the purpose, the substance, the essence. So when God said, let there be light, even though He created sunlight, when He created the lights in the sky, when He created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and He created light, He was looking toward the light. He was looking toward what Jesus says when Jesus comes up on the earth and He says, I am the light. That was his thought. That was his purpose. His purpose for you was to walk in the light. Not just to have sunlight, but to have the light of God in your life. To walk in the light of God in your heart. That was his purpose. So everything he said was toward his purpose. <clears throat> from the beginning, from before the foundation of the world. He had this in his heart before the world was. Apostle Paul gets a hold of this and says, you are chosen in Christ. Before. So in the logos, in the thought, in the mind of God was the choosing in Christ. Now, it's hard to wrap our heads around. In the natural, we can't even understand it. But God has given us His Spirit that you might know all things, yea, even the deep things of God. How much? See, see, I guess the Lord will blend some things together in my heart that He's speaking in me. See, Paul, Paul says in Colossians, not to be spoiled. We're going to get on into that in a minute. With philosophies and vain deceit. Let me give you a little vain deceit. In the sweet by and by, that's a little vain deceit. You know why? Because it takes you off of the purpose of God. You'll understand it better by and by. Christians go around, quote that like the Gospel says it, like the words that we're reading say that. I grew up in church, and these songs were much of I would read the Bible, but I would come away with the songs I sung probably defining what I believe more than the Word. You may not have, I did. They defined a lot of my belief system. And God shook, shook me up. He shook me up. He spoke to me. And said, it's all of my word. And when He spoke to me, what come before me were years of beliefs. Just in him saying that, they begin to shatter. <laughs> and I, I begin to repent. Say, Lord, I, I don't know anything, do I? And at times, I would, I would feel like I'm as stupid as a stick, ignorant as a stick. I had no understanding. But it was was glorious to come to the Lord in that way. That Lord, I really don't know this Word. I really don't understand it. But You do. It was a glorious transition in my life. Because God began to speak His Word in my heart. And I began to hear by the Spirit. And the Spirit began to reveal Christ in me. And that's what he's after. That's what he was after when he created man was Christ in man. That's why man walks around and Mick Jagger sings, I can't get no satisfaction because he hasn't found the satisfaction. And half half of the earth run around with Mick singing it because they're in the same boat. They can't find no satisfaction. And they're out singing. That's the truth. They, I, I can't get no satisfaction because they can't find the place where satisfaction's at in Christ. What's sad is many believers are in the same boat. They're believers. They've been born again. Many of them filled with the Spirit. And you sit down and have a conversation with them. And, and much of the time, they don't even want to talk about the Lord. The conversation goes something like, yeah, I went to church today. How's the weather? Let's not get too far off in this book. I want to get as far into it as I can. I want to understand it. I want to understand Him more than than the book He wrote. And see, see, I hear believers, and I brought this up. I I brought it up to to one of my sons. There, There are people out here saying, oh, Moses didn't hear God right. And I go, what? You haven't seen Christ. You haven't seen the cross. You don't understand because you're not looking at Him. You're looking at your own self. And somewhere looking at your own self you'll run into an obstacle that you can't overcome. Now they're out here. And it's become a popular movement that this, this God of love would not have killed all those people. He would have not have the Israelites kill all those people. How could this God of love do that? Because in the love of God is the cross. God's love toward you is wrapped up And Jesus dying on a cross. That's the truth. So when you go back into the old covenant, God was cutting off everything that wasn't his seed because he was going to perform a work on the ground, uh, in the earth, that was going to bring forth his own seed in a people. And that's what he was going to do. Glory to God is bring forth His seed, and when you get born again, you get born of the seed of God. And if we could get believers just to see that part, to start there, you've been born of another seed than just Adam. So in this seed, just like like in the natural, in the seed of a corn, is the whole corn. Do you know what? <coughs> The whole corn comes out of the seed. Everything that's inside of of that we eat, if you like corn, you plant that seed, that little bitty seed in the ground. And that little bitty seed, when it matures, is full of the whole substance. And that little bitty seed that we plant in the ground is speaking of Christ. Unless a corn of wheat fall in the earth and die, it abides wrong. But if it dies. It brings forth the whole thing, much fruit, the whole substance. And, uh... So that's what God's after in you. All that's in the seed. How much is in the seed? The whole thing. A man when you Consider that by the Spirit of God. And you hear that by the Spirit of God. And you begin to touch that by the Spirit of God. You go, there's nothing like this. You realize that nothing you've ever done compares to it. And it becomes real in your heart what Peter said, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Because because the living God is becoming real in you. It's not just words on a page, Christ in you. This Christ that's in you has begun to reveal Himself, show Himself, make Himself known. And He has feet as fire. Why? Burn up the chest. Get rid of impurities. Bring forth His own divine image. Because that's what He's after. And if we come gathered in that kind of mind... See, see, what if you get saved and the preacher tells you from the beginning God's after His expression in you? And you, your expectation from, from going to service from the time you are born again to you reach adulthood or you become elderly is the expression of God. And you you're waking and setting and praying and setting your heart toward the Word is for the expression of God in you. What if that was the mind in the church? Frankly, you hear much of what people say about going to heaven. They don't even talk about the expression of God there. A lot of what's in their mind about going to heaven is well, I'm going to see mommy, daddy, brother, sister, grandma, grandpa. And you'll hear nothing about the expression of God. So I go back to one of the first statements I said, you think he might not, might have had a goal when he began to create, that he might have had a purpose himself? And I'm not against seeing mommy, daddy, brother, sister. I'm not against any of that. So... So so nobody walked out here and said, well, Brother Wayne said such and such. I'm not against it. If that's the way it works, glory to God. I'm not against that. But the purpose of God is Christ revealed. The divine image person. It's the purpose of God throughout eternity. Not just while we're sitting here in this building and, and doing our jobs in the earth. That's His mind for creation. Before the foundation of the world, he chose us in Christ. So this fire is refining us to this very understanding. So a fire, we talked about being refined in a fire, right? So we've we've talked the last couple weeks about a refining fire. A refining fire is after the image, the... If it's it's refining a sword, it's after that purity of the sword that it comes out to perfection. It's after the exact glory to God. God is after the exact image of Christ in you. Not just you being like Jesus, but the exact image of Christ in you. That's what he's after. And I would love, I would have loved, Amanda, when I was a kid, my pastor to tell me that. I would have loved that. So when I started looking into Word, I would have been looking in the Word toward Christ being revealed in me, Christ being formed in me. So so as we we deal with this refining fire, and, and and I just wanted to bring the picture, and we'll probably do one more lesson on it, and we'll probably move on. We'll see. Maybe we move on next week. We'll see. But as we look in this, I flip over to... I just, just want to mention something. But flip over to Colossians 2. I want to mention something to you. The consuming fire, you know, in Hebrews says, our God is a consuming fire. In the Old Testament, when they had built, I believe, the tabernacle. I believe it was the tabernacle. I believe it's actually in Leviticus or Deuteronomy. They had set everything up according to the pattern that was shown to Moses in the mouth, so they got it all set up. It was all perfect in the title. And God come out and consumed the sacrifice. He was satisfied. And somewhere I read here in, in the Old Covenant, I believe in Leviticus, that the sacrifices were His food. I'm talking out of the Old Testament. I said, turn to Colossians 2. We'll get to Colossians 2 in a moment. But somewhere there in the Old Covenant, I think in Leviticus, the sacrifices were like His food, His satisfaction. What's food do? It fills you. Satisfies you. So when the sacrifice is worked in you, who is Christ? God is satisfied. So that fire just didn't do away with the dross. It actually consumed what He was pleased in. Like I said, we may have to do one more and pull these Scriptures out and give them to you. but Just throw them out to you today. But flip to Colossians 2. I'm here now, Paul. Colossians 2. And I try not to run off. And Paul writes to the Colossians, and he says in verse 1, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. That, here's here's his conflict, that their hearts might be comforted. Being knit together in love. Now, why why was there such a thing that Paul was saying that their hearts might be comforted and being knit together in love? Because in that day, they were feeding Christians in places to lions. They were under great, great persecution. There was huge turmoil in the church. So, Paul is bringing forth and that their hearts might might be being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid how much wisdom? All treasures of wisdom, and not... And this I say, lest any man beguile you with enticing words. Watch what he says here, real close. He says, in Christ is hid all wisdom and knowledge. How much? All. And he tells, he writes them that, says, and this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order, and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ, as as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, here he goes again, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth how much? All. How much is all? The whole thing. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete whereat? In Him, so Paul didn't say you're complete in the sweet by and by. He says you're complete in Christ, and he says grow up in Him. He says he's root, he wants you rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith. See, see, and he and he told him. He said, "Beware that man doesn't come in and spoil you." One translation says, take you captive. And I looked at that. Take captive. Take captive through an idea. Through through what's said. People are taken captive. Captivated. Captivated in their mind. Captivated in their soul. Enticed away from the truth that's in Christ. In Him is all fullness of God. All it is, is found in the revelation of Jesus Christ. The whole thing. All wisdom. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All of them in Him. So if all the treasures of the wisdom of God are in Christ, might I ought not to set my affections toward Him This thing has gripped me so much. If I say something that offends you this morning, forgive me, pray for me. You can tell me after service if you want. I won't get mad at you too long. (laughs) All kidding aside, this thing has gripped me so much. You know, I'm, I'm listening to things people say, sing, whatever. And I'm going... Is that after Christ? Is that after to know Christ? Is that is that the the intent of the heart? You know, is is, is we we how how to put them in words? We've been just just we grow up in church. Most most of the people sitting here, if not all, probably grew up in church to some extent, and we we thought. This was all about, like we take the scripture, whatever you desire and believe in your heart asking God will give it to you. Use that. And we ran out with that scripture, and, and I say, we because I ran out with it too, and I started saying, "God, give me this, God, give me that, Your word said that. I did that. Not praying, pray and pray. In fact, I get so serious about natural things back then I fast and fast and fast for them. Now out of my heart, I believe that. I believe that's what that scripture meant. But in Christ are all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus told them in Matthew in the Beatitudes," He said, hey, see the lilies of the field. What did He say about the lilies of the field? He said, they need to spend their toll. He said, my Heavenly Father knows their need. And He supplies their need. And you're much greater than they. Seek ye. He even gave us instruction what to seek. Seek ye first preeminently the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added. Now, what happened was we get caught up in seeking all these things. And maybe very little seeking of the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God's some day out there in the future. You know, so I don't need to seek it because it ain't come yet. Because it's out there in the future. Beware lest any man spoil you. These things fall you away from the truth that's in Christ. What they do is take you captive from the truth that's in Christ. In Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are, what? Complete in Him. I, I, when, I, when I was young, I know, I know a number of believers that, that understand some of this now, but when I was young, if I went to a number of believers that I was with, and I ain't trying to, trying to beat them up, and I went to them and says. How how are we circumcised? In whom also you are circumcised. Do I understand this? Is this just words Paul writes? People read over this and say, Oh, but give me my mansion. Sorry to be so rough this morning, but so be it. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Maybe I should have spent my time understanding the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Glory to God. Because that circumcision frees me from the old man. It cuts him off. And that's a glorious place to be free of the old man. And that's found in Christ. Many Christians are fighting every day with the old man that's gone, that's been crucified. Or fighting the devil. Has anybody ever heard of Christians fighting the devil all the time? You know what Paul, or the writer of Hebrews said about the devil? He hath destroyed him to hath the power of death, that is the devil. He destroyed him. He spoiled principalities and powers. He he did what to them? Spoiled them. Why are we fighting Him when we're in the One that hath all power and authority? Why we're fighting Him is because we've been spoiled. You know, last week I'm driving home. Faye heard this yesterday, so she gets here twice. So you'll really hear it now. I'm driving home last week and Andrew gets a phone call. Some preacher wanting money. And he gives a 15, 20 minute sermon. Before it goes over 10, 15, 20, it felt like longer because I, I, I was like, don't turn that off. I want to talk to them. <laughs> Either either a guy cut off or they didn't want to talk to me. But in this thing, this guy's saying you're under a generational curse. I would ask, "What preacher is this? If I'm of the seed of God, how can I be under a generational curse, brother?" I'm the I'm a member of the body of Christ. And you're telling me I'm under the generational curse? You have no understanding. You have no business teaching anybody. You don't even understand the basics. You're not under a generational curse. And then he went on and said, God's going to do a new thing on the earth like he said in Isaiah. He's going to do a new thing in your life. And I wanted to come out of my chair again and say that new thing He was prophesying was the cross, was the new covenant you're standing in today. He already did a new thing. And I'm standing in the new thing. I'm a new creature created of God in Christ Jesus. Do we understand these things? See, these things entice us from the truth that's in Christ and catch our minds up in things that's not even true. But if I don't set my affections toward Him, I don't understand that. So if somebody comes out and tells me all this stuff, and if I had the truth in me in Christ, i say, brother, I'm not under no generational curse. You might be, but I'm not. I am of the seed of God. He's not cursed. He took my curse away. He became the curse that I might be made the righteousness of God. In Christ, and I begin to confront that lie. See these things get in our mind. These things, these things, separate us from the truth. That's what Paul. I, I saw this. I'm like, this is what Paul's talking to them about. Now there, he's dealing primarily with Judaism. That's what he's dealing with primarily because that's what they did. They came in. As soon as Christ, Christ began to be revealed, and Paul and Peter and these brothers begin to preach Christ revealed and the reality of Christ in the lives of people, here come Judaizers down and say, well, you all got to be circumcised. Yes. Paul writes that to the Galatians. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to be circumcised. Yeah, yeah, Jesus did all that, but you still got to be circumcised. You ain't circumcised. You ain't in it. You're missing it. See, I went through some of those things in my young life. Well, you've got to get rid of your TV set. Don't wear no short sleeve shirts. Now, I didn't go as far as circumcision, but I went down some of those lines and gave away all my TV sets. Throw away my nice blue jeans. I think of throwing them away so nobody else could wear those ungodly things. I don't think I gave them Got rid of my CDs. Can't listen to no country music. Man, I went through that. And I thought I was doing that for the Lord. Now it's after God. I wasn't. I was really after the Lord, and somewhere the Lord got a hold of my heart, and thank God He did. But see, but see, these things spoil you from the truth that's in Christ. In Him's all wisdom and knowledge. So if I gave my heart, you know what? What did what did Solomon? You, you know, we talk about Solomon being brief, uh, being blessed with all wealth, with the wealth beyond. And I even see this in Christ, but I'm going to give you this picture, and we may wind down in this picture. But this is fire. See, because this fire consumes and transforms our mind to the truth that's in Christ. See, see, Solomon did what? When the Lord was dealing with Solomon, did he say, Dear God, give me all the finances I need to bless the kingdom. Give me gold and silver and homes. He said, give me Wisdom. And God blessed him beyond measure. Now, in fact, all the kings of the world begin to come to Solomon's wisdom, to see his wisdom. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, he says, hey, a greater than Solomon is here. One filled with greater wisdom than Solomon. The one that Solomon's wisdom spoke of had come. The one that Solomon's wealth had spoke of had come, because in him is uh, the uh, is the treasure. You notice it's called treasure here. Treasure. It's treasure. What does it say? Treasure of what? Treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Mm. these these in my own life, what God has shown me in Christ, have been the greatest treasures I have. They've been great in my heart. Now, because they've, they've created substance I'm not saying that I'm anything. I'm no more than you are. But they've created substance of Him. Realness of Him. Being able to touch realness of God. It's what He wants you to do. He wants you to touch Him. He wants you to know Him. Fellowship Him. It's like this song service this morning. One one part of it I just carried away. You know, I'm thinking, well, what they think I'm overdoing it. Then I said, So what? Get carried away. Mm-hmm. Let it go. Mm-hmm. Overdo it. Who cares? That's what Brother David did back in the old covenant. He overdid it and his wife she got upset with him. Here come Brother David. He seemed unseemly. You're a king, David. You shouldn't be like that, David. You're a man of prestige. And not carry yourself right. He's like, I'm in the presence of the Most High God. He's put in us His treasure. All wisdom. You are complete in Him. He says, in Him is all riches. Treasure of wisdom and knowledge. All riches of the full assurance of understanding. All riches of the full assurance. So understanding gives you assurance. You know, why do we learn about the righteousness of God? I I can read it. I'm going to wind down and stop. I've been 47 minutes, so give me a few more. I can read I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How many ever read that? Yeah. Okay. It, am I walking as if I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus or just read it on the page? I read it on the page. But am I walking in it, right? And here, full... Unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. So, so the full assurance of understanding, understanding this Word, understanding Christ, gives me assurance it's true. And this is an assurance that I just know in my mind. I know this in my heart, my being. That's what the revelation of Christ in you does is that in your being, you come to a reality that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He is my righteousness and I've been made righteous and nothing else is going to make me righteous but what He is. And the revealing of of His righteousness in me makes that real in me. Not just the words on the page it becomes real inside of me. And that's what Christians are hungering and thirsting after is are that words on the page that they read become real in their lives. I know that. I see that. I hear that in voices that that they read these things and yet inside It's like these things are far off where they've been taught a doctrine that's far off. Instead of being taught the reality of God in Christ that is now in Christ Jesus, what's now? Paul said now in Christ Jesus 2,000 years ago. Now in Christ Jesus, you that were far off are made nigh. Now. So if I get to an understanding now, and I begin to believe now, and I believe like John said, he had saw Him in the church, then He that is in the church will come. And His coming then doesn't have to be from 2,000 miles out of the air. His coming is within you glory to God and he begins to come and make himself known in you appear manifest himself right. glory to God that's the coming of the Lord I'm after is the one that is in that comes in me and makes this living God real. Didn't mean to go there. But all right, we went, we did. And if, like I said earlier, and I'm turning this off, well, I'll give you a couple more minutes. If I've been taught this as a kid, an expectation of Christ being revealed in me as a kid, that, that God would reveal His Son in me. I was taught that as a kid, and I grew up saying, you know, God will reveal Himself in me, man, that would I would have been something. Because I would have set my heart toward the appearing of the Lord. And the appearing I would have set my heart toward is the One in me. And I'd be looking for it every day. Every day I'd be waiting, looking. I'd be getting in the book looking for Him to come, looking for Him to appear. You, you know every word. She ran out the door, by the way. You know every word. Every word for come in your Bible is not the same word. You know that you know, there's multiple words used for coming and come and appear in your Bible. Do you know that if you study them, they're not all. They don't all mean the same thing. There's multiple words there. Well, that's enough this morning. Any, any